What's up, guys? Got another fifth and long for you tonight. Uh, this is an instant reaction episode from the College Football National Championship game between Washington and Michigan. Paul and I previewed this game earlier this week. This game we were both really looking forward to. Um, didn't quite live up to expectations, but Paul and I still had plenty to talk about. We've got lots more to talk about as well this week. Uh, we've got a fantasy football standalone episode for our end of the year awards, and we also have a preview episode for the wild card round of the NFL playoffs. Enjoy the show. Tune in to us on Fifth and Long at Twitter. Uh, that's at Fifth and Long on Twitter, I should say. We also are on Instagram and YouTube at Fifth and Long Pod. There we go. Man, buckle up. A lot of football content coming in the next few weeks, and then March Madness. Is right around the corner as well. Then it's baseball season. Ah, <laughs> I'm excited. Um, a lot of sports talk ahead for you right here on the Fifth and Long Podcast. All right, fifth and long fans, Patrick and Paul back at you again. This time we got a little something different for you. We're re- reacting live right now to to the national championship game between Washington and Michigan that just took place. Paul and I were texting each other a little bit during the game, sharing some notes. But you're getting right now our raw, unfiltered kind of immediate thoughts after that game. 34-13 final score. Michigan wins. I'm just going to go ahead and start by saying I don't think either of us expected the game to go this way. I'm right on that, right? Well, I thought Washington would hang in there a little bit more. I think the manner in which Michigan won this game is is predictable, but I thought that Washington would have been able to keep the score a little bit closer. I thought Penix would have been able to be a little bit more effective, but like all of the keys to Michigan's success, I think are what what we thought, how we thought Michigan would go about business. Extremely strong pass rush like they had last week and then uh, a great running game. Uh, McCarthy made a couple plays here or there, but by and large, dominate the dominate on the ground and then win in the trenches. Yeah, I that was kind of what I was previewing a little bit when we spoke about this game last week. I just thought whoever won the trench battle was was going to win the game. And Michigan dominated 303 yards on the ground. That's insane. Um, Corum and Donovan Edwards both had 100-plus yards. They both had two, t- two touchdowns apiece. Um, McCarthy only threw for 140 yards, 10 of 18 passing. Penix, I mean, one touchdown, two picks. 27 of 51, 255 yards. He just looked uncomfortable all game. Like the the looks that he's had all year just weren't there for him. I think that there were some open looks. I mean, I thought Kirk Herbstreet was uh, commenting on some receivers that were that were coming open uh, throughout the game, but Penix just didn't have enough time to sit back there in the pocket and find him. And he didn't have enough time to go through his progressions and then didn't have enough time to – to unload deep balls like we saw him doing against Texas. I think that was the the biggest thing, even though I think Michigan's pass rush only got home for 
one sack. I mean, the, the amount of times that they disrupted his rhythm, had him throwing off of his back foot or flat footed. I mean, you can't count the number of times they did that. So uh, I thought Washington's scheme, their skill position players did all they could, but by and large, I mean, like you said, the win in the trenches, the D line of Michigan, I mean, the, they were able to play defense in the secondary by how good their defensive pass rush was. And there was a couple of sacks that they had against Penix. There, there weren't a ton. They didn't have six sacks like they had against Alabama. Um, I don't even think they had as many tackles for losses, but it just seemed like they were getting hits on Penix consistently. And, and like you said, we're making him uncomfortable on some of those throws, just not giving him the time to really read the defense and, and find those guys downfield like he had against Texas and, and other teams all year. Was there, besides Michigan's run game and their pass defense, what was the other biggest surprise for you from this game, just for either team? Besides Michigan's run game and, and their pass defense? Yes. Um, I thought McCarthy was uh, was pretty good with his legs when he needed to be. Um, but, I mean, by and large, those two things that you mentioned on, on Michigan were, were the big thing. And then, you know, I thought Penix, like there were open throws that even when he had a little bit of time, he he missed. I mean, I think that the throw everybody's going to go back to is the, the play in the first half where he had Romo Dunze for what looked to be a touchdown on that, that uh, fourth down that they went for in Michigan territory. I I really kind of wanted to break down this play. So uh, I think that this is a perfect segue to, to hop into that. I think that there's fault, a little bit of fault on each uh, dudes and Penix, but I mean, the quarterback probably deserves more of the blame in that one. What Penix saw, what I believe he saw on that play was a safety towards the inside of the numbers uh, for Michigan. So he tries to throw that ball to the outside where there's a lot more space, but Odunze's route is taking him towards the numbers and kind of up the seam from there. So there's an adjustment that needs to be made uh, on his end. And he kind of stumbled over his feet and was falling down as that throw was there. But in and of the same sense, I think uh, Penix led him a little bit too far towards the boundary and just a little bit of a disconnect on that one. There were some throws like that, that he, even when he had him, he was overshooting guys and he missed today. You mentioned he didn't look as comfortable. You know, I'm not going to say he was seeing ghosts out there or anything like that. No, Sam Darnold. But I think that the constant pass rush even got inside his head when he did have a little bit of time to throw. Um, that was the biggest takeaway for me there, that, that his ineffectiveness. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think that that was that's the difference in the game here. I mean, it's certainly the difference in how Washington looked from week to week. Yeah, you mentioned that fourth down play that. Washington had where they went for it and it looked like Penix had Odunze open and and either led him a little bit too much or Odunze didn't make the right in-air adjustment whatever it was there's a little bit of a, a disconnect between those guys there and then you know Washington they're really getting stomped in the first half I mean they're down 17 to 3 Momentum-wise, it felt like an even bigger score differential because Michigan's just running the ball down your throat this whole half. And then they had that pretty good drive towards the end of the second quarter, 11 plays, 61 yards. You take four minutes off the clock. You put it in the end zone on that three-yard touchdown reception for Jalen McMillan. Force a punt by Michigan after that at the end of the half. But then you start – the third quarter off with an interception on that first play and 
credit to Will Johnson to to stay with that ball and, and hold on to it after it may have been deflected at the line. I thought that Penix just got hit as he threw. I, I didn't see a deflection per se, but it definitely the ball was definitely affected coming out of his hands. And then Johnson, that, that was that was a tough play to make. You think though, if if Washington can score on that drive, that might flip the script of the whole rest of the game. It, it just seemed like Michigan was able to set the tone early in both halves and really stick with it. It didn't feel like they took their foot off the gas at any point during the night. Yeah, you made a couple good points there. Uh, I had forgotten about that throw coming out right out of the half. Um, That, to me, was as bad of a throw as it was. I I think it was just a poor decision to let that ball go. I mean, sometimes you have to to take a sack. Sometimes a sack is – the best play given, um, given the situation. And and I think he tried to force that in there where it was really kind of double coverage in that situation. So I'd forgotten about that and um, kind of speaks to Penix's overall poor day, but you, you were talking about how Michigan was dominant early as well. I mean, anybody who watched the game can see that the, the one thing I forgot to say when we're talking about surprises of this game, or at least things I didn't see coming was how Washington's defense was able to, at least for a time, hold up. I mean, they were able to stop the bleeding. It was 14-3 and another big run. I can't remember if it was from Quorum or Edwards. I want to say Quorum did to get them deep into Washington territory, maybe into the red zone. That was Quorum. I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. And Washington's defense by and large, like held, you know, I mean, they're able to force a field goal. They come up with a third down stop. I think it was the first time Michigan had even seen a third down in the game. And it stopped the bleeding for the time being. And they were able to pile up a couple of stops after that. You know, when I saw that, and then when I saw Washington still wasn't able to capitalize and they were still playing from a touchdown behind the whole game, that's when you really have to start getting worried as a Washington supporter because your defense is literally doing everything they can. I mean, they they stopped the bleeding after the early onslaught. Michigan's run game was kind of flustered in the in the middle quarters, you know, second and third quarter there and Washington's still not able to capitalize, that's when you kind of knew that you were in trouble because it's you can only do that for so long when there's such a mismatch in the trenches like there were tonight. And eventually Michigan was able to to play a little, with a little bit of tempo in, on that fourth quarter drive and, and put things away. There was a stretch at one point from <clears throat> right around the middle of the third quarter to the beginning of the fourth quarter where there were six straight possessions where these teams punted just trading punts left and right. It felt like a field position game. Both teams were trying to sort of feel each other out and find that next play. That was still a one. It was still a one possession game at that point. It was 20 to 13 for almost a whole quarter of play really. And the game slowed down from that point. Um, One thing I will say, Michigan held Washington to just three points in the second half a field goal on their second possession. They pitched a shutout after that. And I think a big part of this game that's going to get overlooked is the injuries to Washington's key offensive players. Dylan Johnson, their running back, only 11 carries for 33 yards. You got to think he was more a part of the game plan going into this, but he was hobbled by injuries to, to both feet i believe he also had a hip thing going on i think <clears throat> Penix looks really banged up by the end of the game on the last sequence where washington had the ball there was a play where there was 
a holding call and there was a pass interference on a play that um, Penix had a guy downfield. He got hit hard on this throw and he picked himself up off the ground and, and you could see him like doubled over, hand on his chest, trying to just make sure he was breathing right. So I wouldn't be surprised if there was some stuff that came out about him playing through injuries as well in this game. I'm not a medical expert. I'm not going to try to judge whatever you might've been dealing with just from the eye tests, but he didn't look himself for one reason or another. And they looked banged up, man. The physicality of, of Michigan just from start to finish was next level. And we touched on it earlier, just talking about their pass rush and their defense and getting home on Penix as often as they did. But it's a, they just played like an entirely different brand of football. I think that that Washington hadn't really seen at any point this season. I mean, you're not, you're not seeing that level of physicality from anybody in the PAC 12, even if they were one of the more competitive conferences, if not the most competitive conference in the country this season. And you're not seeing that level of physicality from Texas either. So I, I'm going to stand by what I said the other day, man, Michigan's the best team in the country. They proved it just every area of this game. They didn't necessarily dominate in every phase. Like, like Pretty I close said, to it. I mean, Pretty close Ma- to domination throughout McCarthy. You said he, he made some good plays with his legs, which he did most notably that uh, third down that Michigan had inside their own 10, where he scrambled for like 20, 30 yards. But otherwise he, he really didn't do anything crazy. 10, 10 completions. On 18 attempts, 140 yards. I mean, like Milrow had a better game against Michigan than McCarthy had in this game to 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 some extent. Like you would say just from looking at the numbers. You and I both know that's not true because McCarthy made some big throws and some big plays. But um, no, I, Michigan didn't. They were just able to dominate so much on the ground. They didn't have to ask McCarthy to do much. And that was their recipe for success all the way going into this and they executed it. So credit to Harbaugh. Will he stay with the Wolverines going forward? I don't know, man. We'll have to see what happens. I wanted to touch on, I I like made a great point about the level of physicality and Washington just kind of not being up for the task in, in that regard. You're right. I mean, there's no team that they had faced all year that had played this physical and, um, that was this physically daunting on both sides of the ball. Um, Dylan Johnson, you made a great point about him. I, obviously, we saw him take that injury at the end of the the Texas game last week, and I didn't think he was going to be ready to play this game. You know, he he trots out there, he starts this game, and you can clearly see he's not 100%. It looked like he had some sort of compression sleeve or something on his left. I can't remember his left or right leg, but yeah. You mentioned that he's got injuries to an ankle, a hip. I mean, both both his legs and or feet were were banged up in some regard. And I think Herb Street at one point in this game tonight said that it, he looked like seventy percent. I think that that was generous. Um, definitely, he didn't look, definitely. He didn't he didn't look nearly as fast as he did last week against Texas. He couldn't cut very well. You know, a kid like that, a, a gamer, anybody who's playing in this game is probably playing through a couple of nicks and bruises. It happens. You know, as you get, this is the 15th game of the year for each of these teams. It's it's natural. But, you know, this is the biggest game of these kids' lives, at least up until this point. And they are going to do everything they possibly can do to play. I think that that's on the coach and the coaching staff in general right there to see that this guy, he's he's just not able to deliver the best performance for the team. 
And sometimes you have to protect the player from himself. And look, there wasn't a, a particular run today where I'm like, oh, you know, a fully healthy Dylan Johnson or maybe the backup could have broke that one, you know, for 20, 30 yards. But there were plenty of runs where he gained only two or three where I think they could have gone for five or six. And as those plays continue to add up throughout the course of the game, I mean, that that could open up the playbook more. You could control more time of possession, give your defense, uh, you know, some time off and just rack up a couple more first downs, get Michigan's offense out of rhythm. Little plays like that can add up. And, and you know, they were they were subtracting from Washington's overall offense because they couldn't get their ground game going, even though I, I think that they did a pretty decent job of at least trying to stick with it early. You know, I mean, that even when the game looked like it was kind of getting out of hand, they gave them some carries early. But, you know, by the second half, you could see it clearly wasn't working and, and they had to abandon it there. So I think that that's a point that shouldn't be overlooked. You're right. I'm not sure if that'll be the make front page news, some of these injuries, um, and particularly particularly to Dylan Johnson. But I, I agree that that's a fair point that, that we shouldn't overlook for this one. Yeah, just I mean, they didn't have a second option really running the ball after Johnson. And you saw that Michigan had, if you count McCarthy, three decent options to three decent to great options running the ball. Edwards, six carries, 104 yards. That's pretty absurd for a guy who <laughs> I think he only had like three touchdowns all year before this game. Yeah, he had three touchdowns all season before this game he has two in the national title i mean quorum 21 for 134 they they had their bell cow have the exact game that they would have wanted from him they had their backup play absolutely incredibly like just jump jump out of the gym in the first half two touchdowns on his first two touches and mccarthy made some big plays too it washington just wasn't able to get to that second level with anybody Johnson or, or anybody else really. And at one point I texted you and, and said, you know, they're kind of getting some screen passes here and there and, and sort of quick passes to the outside that are working like runs, but it's still not the same thing. Penix had to throw the ball 50 times in this game and he, he barely completed half of his passes. So he took a huge hit. I think in this game, it, yes, I know he was under pressure a lot, but the conversations going into this game about how talented that wide receiver group was and everything, I don't know if it was just overblown because he's the Heisman winner and, and this and that, but Lee Corso before the game said this was the, the greatest group of receivers he'd ever seen in college football, which right away. Um, <clears throat> I think Ohio State's receiving core from a couple of years ago with, with Olave, Garrett Wilson. Um, Even LSU's receiving yeah, core. LSU's would too. have something to say about that as well. I agree. And and I was thinking about that going into this game, those teams and some of those quarterbacks that I kind of teased last week before this game, like a Deshaun Watson at the college level, like a Joe Burrow, like a Trevor Lawrence, like a Tua Tagovailoa. There's just – you just didn't see that, like, takeover mode happen from Penix, which I think is something a lot of people were counting on in this game. And we just, we just didn't get it for one reason or another. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was counting on it. I mean, that, that was my pick uh, going into this game. I thought that I said that I thought that the players in the secondary 
were for Washington, or excuse me, I thought that the players in the secondary for Michigan were going to have their hands much more full with the, the talented receivers that Washington had compared to what Alabama put out there last week. And, you know, like I said earlier, because of how dominant the defensive line was for Michigan and, and how proficient they were at getting to the corner at getting to the quarterback, you know, that, that wasn't really able to materialize for Washington. I want to go back to a point you made um, a couple of minutes ago about Washington wasn't able to get to the second level with their run game. Michigan was. You mentioned Donovan Edwards' two touchdowns in this one. He, the, where he broke the play was not initially where he he first hit the line. Like, he, he ran into kind of a stopgap on each of his touchdowns and then was able to bounce it out to another hole because there were sustained blocks downfield. Okay. I mean, Michigan guys were staying on their blocks. They were getting to the second level, blocking linebackers and receivers were sticking on their blocks and blocking corners. Blake Corum's touchdown, his first one was uh, the same deal. You know, that, that was the one that really salted the game away for sure. And if you look on the uh, replay, Corum makes a nice cut to, to get to the second level, but he's got two linemen blocking ahead of him as he's nearing the goal line on that. You didn't see that on Washington's end and, you know, Michigan's offensive line, they weren't just good in the trenches getting the initial push, they, they were good getting to that second level. So I thought that's a, a good point there. Worked both ways um, in the Michigan-Washington trench battle. The other thing I wanted to point out that, that you did touch on is Penix's short throws. Like we talked about, he didn't really have time to, to unleash deep and re didn't really have time to go through his progressions. And that was clearly a good defensive game plan by Michigan. They let the underneath stuff happen. They knew that Washington wasn't going to be able to sustain full drives consistently doing that. And they were content with giving them these short screen passes and underneath five, six yard throws, as long as they limited the big play, made sure that Odunze didn't get behind the the coverage. Same with McMillan and Polk. So uh, there was a great game plan. Those are two key points as to why Michigan was able to win. And it, I think it speaks to the defensive game plan in general. And just, again, their overall physical strength. Something else that really irked me a little bit during the course of the game was how many times I felt like just when Washington was kind of starting to get going, there was some kind of penalty that would move them back oh, yeah. either pre-snap or um, during the play. There, there was one really questionable holding call <clears throat> against them on a play where um, I think it wiped out like a 40-something yard gain. Yeah, I think then on, arguably, I thought arguably that might have been Penix's best throw of the, of the day. Flat footed, kind of leaning back, and he hits Odunze pretty perfectly in stride. Not quite perfectly, but hits him um, going towards the sideline, yeah, for 30, 40 yards. And I didn't think it was enough for a holding call. I, I thought that the, uh, the right tackle for Washington kind of got his arm out of the way in time, but I guess it wasn't enough for the official to not throw the flag. Well, the crazy thing was on the very next series where Michigan scores a touchdown – there was a no call on a pretty obvious hold for Michigan's right tackle on, on the play where right. McCarthy connected with uh, Colston Loveland for a, for like a 20 something yard gain or 40 yard gain. Excuse me. That was that big 41 yard play. They had that led to the game ceiling touchdown that really put the dagger in the hearts of, uh, of the Huskies fans. So I, I'm not going to say this is, it was really the officiating fault. I think it was more so bad discipline over the course of the game from some of the guys on the Washington O-line, we said how big of a matchup that was going to be going into this week, the, the O-line versus the D-line. We also teased that, hey, 
Texas, who Washington got through to get to this game, they had 10 penalties on their team that semis game. Michigan isn't going to make the same amount of mistakes. I think both teams had five penalties apiece, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it felt to me like Washington had a lot more. It So both teams had five penalties, and you're right, it did feel that way. I think that was just because of the timing of Washington's penalties. Yeah. Like that holding call, like the uh, – uh, there was a few different – um, false starts or, or whatever, a few in a few big moments, like third down and, and 10, third and five or something like that. I think there was a couple of second down plays where they just picked up some good yardage and were in more manageable positions to work around their call sheet some, and they just weren't catching any breaks of any kind. And, and I'll even give Penix credit before that fourth quarter, I don't know if you saw it, but he took his whole the whole team, the whole team, he gathered around him on the sideline and was kind of chatting to them. I don't know what he was saying. I can only sort of imagine. <laughs> but I just sort of feel for the guy and that team a little bit. Like, it didn't – normally with, with Cinderella stories like this, I feel like there's at least a little bit more of like a dramatic ending. And the sparks just didn't fly really tonight. Like once they, once, once the halftime break ended, it was really even before that, the the first time Michigan had the ball, that first run from Donovan Edwards, the game just, just kept coasting in favor of, of the Wolverines. Um, It's crazy, man. I, I, I don't, when was the last time Michigan won a national title? The 90s? 1997, I think it was, I think they, right? I think they said 26 years ago, something like that, 25, 26 years ago, so late 90s. 1997, 90s I think it was, um, yeah. which would be 26 years. I was just about to say uh, I don't ever remember uh, a Michigan national title team, and, and that would be why. <laughs> I'm 26 yeah. years old, so it's um, there's a lot of Michigan fans that are – that are going to be happy and celebrating tonight. Tom Brady's popping champagne somewhere, I can imagine. But yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, the only other thing I wanted to add, I mean, and and credit obviously to Michigan, but um, when you are the the less, I guess, impressive team, right? And when when you're regarded as the the worst team, for lack of a better term, in a game like this, which Washington was, I mean, they were coming in as like five and a half, maybe even six point underdogs in this. You need to play as close to perfect as you possibly can. And and you mentioned the penalties. They weren't able to do that. They killed some drives. It's little things like that, you know, that that you need to to help give you an edge when you're facing a more physically and, and more dominant uh, opponent like Michigan. They weren't able to do that today. So that's an interesting point there to touch on. Yeah, man, uh, Michigan's been waiting for a while. So is Jim Harbaugh. I, I mean, I you know, I'm. Growing up a Notre Dame fan, I, Michigan was never one of my favorite teams. Uh, I remember Denard Robinson kind of running all over the Notre Dame defense, watched some players like that uh, just kind of kill my Irish. But it's uh, it's been a team that has been building back over the past couple of years. You know, ever since Harbaugh's been there, has gotten back to that stage of glory that, that Michigan has been on in the past. I mean, when Michigan's good college football is good and vice versa. So um, it's, it is good for the sport to see them back on top. I mean, JJ McCarthy, I I feel really happy for him. You mentioned that you feel bad for Penix that he wasn't able to come through. I I think you got to feel equally as happy though 
as you do bad for Penix, you got to feel equally as happy for, for McCarthy here. This was a guy who was dejected after that TCU loss last year in the semifinals, and he promised that he and, and Michigan would be back in this one, and, and they were. He came through uh, with a national championship victory. So uh, it's going to be a lot of happy a lot of happy parties going on in Ann Arbor this week throughout, uh, you know, credit to any Michigan fan out there, um, all the players, everybody involved in that organization. Phenomenal win, tremendous accomplishment, tremendous accomplishment. Yeah, McCarthy is even a guy that's been, I don't want to say ridiculed, but he's been poked at even since his freshman year where Har- Harbaugh would throw him into the game in certain late, late game or clutch scenarios just to get him snaps. And that was something that people didn't really like at the time. But now, now you look back at it and it, it paid off for sure. Um, bigger disappointment tonight, Washington's performance or no trailer reveal for the new EA sports college football game. Um, you know, believe it or not, I, I actually haven't played too much, uh, uh, NCAA football, back in my day. So I, I guess I'd go Washington's performance here on, on that one more so just because like, this was another kind of letdown of a championship game. You were hoping for something a little bit more exciting after what we know happened last year. Right. You know, with the, the beat down that Georgia put on TCU. So um, unfortunately the, the college football championship games themselves, the actual championship games haven't always lived up to the hype. And this one didn't really either. So I'll say that this, was a little bit more disappointing than than not getting a trailer reveal of the of the video game. But fair question. How excited are you now for next year's playoff system with 12 teams? I feel like it's going to be way more fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, we got I don't know if I'm more or less excited after tonight per se, but uh, you know, I I was walking away more excited for it just seeing how this whole season played out. You know, I think that you could have made a case. People were making cases for a handful of other teams to, to be in this playoff. You know, I didn't make the case for him, but plenty of people out there thought Florida State was a deserving team to be in the playoff. I was a proponent of Georgia still making the college football playoff. And so for that reason, I'm really excited for next year that teams that I think have a legitimate case to be in the top four are going to get to prove it. And, and that's the biggest thing. We're still going to see arguments from teams that are, you know, are 12th and 13th, you know, on the fringe of, of that um, fringe of next year's playoff uh, selection. But, you know, at the end of the day, I I don't think that you're going to see a lot of those teams being significantly competitive on the back end of, of next year's field, your, your 10 through 12s and et cetera. But what you are going to see is you're going to see those, those middle teams, those five through eights have a legitimate chance to, to make a run at, at a college football championship. So just I hope that next year is as competitive as it was this year. And if we can get a field or a perspective field like we saw this year, next year, I mean, man, I can't wait. Did you see the stuff that came out earlier this morning about um, CFP committee members receiving death, death threats from FSU fans? <laughs> no, I, I, I didn't see that specifically. I think I saw a tweet from – one of the committee members of which I can't remember his name, but he was saying that uh, maybe it was the president or somebody like that. He was saying that they were, they were confident that they got the the four teams, right. That they think that they, they got it right. Which again, I, I think I've made a case for Georgia a handful of times on, on this podcast, but at this point, I think you're getting into semantics. If you're going to, if you're going to argue that, I think, you know, 
with how competitive the semifinal round was, Michigan kind of flexed their muscle tonight. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, given the results that we have seen over the past week plus, I got no problem with these four that they selected. So I think that, again, you know my opinion about Florida State. I, I think that to give somebody death threats over a sporting event is, is horrendous in, in and of itself. You don't need any more context other than that. But, I mean, they really have no basis. Do you think either McCarthy or Penix really helped or hurt their draft stock in this game? No, because you know what? Let's take a look at JJ McCarthy first. I, I think that he made a couple plays, I think more so with his legs today, but he wasn't really called upon to do too much one way or the other. So I, I don't really think that you could bump him up or bump him down. I mean, there was no play where I looked at like, oh, JJ McCarthy, you know, couldn't make that throw. Um, he just wasn't asked to do too much. I mean, with, with how good the team he had around him, I was actually surprised. I saw a graphic flash towards the back end of the game that Mel Kuyper has him projected as the, uh, his fifth quarterback off the board in, in this upcoming class, which I didn't, he's think gotten McCarthy... some first round buzz actually. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think he was supposed to go that high, but, um, maybe I should get back in the film room and, and watch some of his earlier games from this year. Cause I, I, I thought he was going to be more of a mid round guy, um, now to Penix, look, I mean, the stat line doesn't look good today. I mean, let the, you know, you can't, you can't ignore that. Uh, barely over 50% completion percentage and more interceptions than touchdowns as you recapped at the beginning of the episode. But I don't think it was all on him. Um, he certainly didn't improve his draft stock tonight, but I don't think that there's any team out there that's watching film and looking at this game and, and seeing how dominant Michigan's D-line was over Washington's O-line and knocking Penix down a significant amount. I think that he's put enough film out there throughout the course of the year, you know, had a Heisman campaign where one bad night that wasn't completely his fault, largely his fault, but not completely his fault. I don't think that NFL teams are going to look at tonight and bump him down significantly, if at all. Last question. Is this John Harbaugh's last game as head coach of the Michigan Wolverines? You mean Jim Harbaugh? Jim Harbaugh, yeah. Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I'd have to say it is. I mean, I think that, you know, for multiple reasons. One, he achieved the crown jewel, right? He's a national champion. They accomplished everything that they set out to do. Uh, this team is going to have uh, a plethora of guys go to the NFL next year. It's not going to be the same team coming back. Um, so I, I don't think that there's – though they'll probably be competitive again and, and very good. And I'd imagine ranked They're They're not, I don't think that they're supposed to be a national championship contender or one of the top contenders next year. And then, you know, pile on the, the sanctions that could still be coming down the road for him. Right. I mean, they, you know, could still be facing multiple suspensions for what we've seen happen and transpire. Let's keep in mind. He wasn't just suspended once at the end of the year for the Connor stallions thing. He was suspended at the beginning of the year as well. So I think that this is a guy that uh, I think is going to try to put all of that behind him, go to the NFL and try to, uh, you know, achieve the the next goal of his, which will ultimately be winning a Super Bowl. Okay. Wow. That's it for, for college football for this year. Yeah, man. man. What are your thoughts? Do you agree with any of what I just said or disagree with it in, in terms of Harbaugh primarily or, you know, McCarthy or Penix's draft stock? I think with – so I I think Penix could have hurt his draft stock slightly, not by a ton, but slightly. Um, again, I think the injuries might play into it. I think we're going to have to wait and see to see what he was actually dealing with 
in this game and how serious it might have been if if there were any listed injuries, perhaps. Um, but Michigan's the most the closest thing to an NFL defense he's faced all year. Absolutely. And it, and it wasn't great. And it, it wasn't all on him. A lot of it was because there wasn't as much separation for his receivers. There wasn't uh, as much time in the pocket for him. He didn't have as many clean pockets with like wide open space to run if he needed. But also, like we talked about earlier, there were some big throws that he just missed. Third downs, fourth downs, like throws you've typically seen him make. And for whatever reason, they just they just weren't there today. I don't think his draft stock was like drastically hurt, but he was already kind of like a fringe first to second round guy right now because of some of his injury history and and questions about um, some of the competition he's faced. And I don't think getting hurt and not playing very well against a really good defense helped either of, of the arguments against those stances. Um, Corum, I think is, is the guy that really boosted his draft stock outside of, um, outside of some guys, maybe from, from Michigan secondary, even some of Washington's defensive players, I would think might get a little bit of a boost because of how they were able to handle, um, Michigan's guys, but, but Michigan skill position players aren't the same aren't at, at the same level as Washington's are. So that might not necessarily hold true. Um, but back to Corum, I, I really think someone's going to get suckered into taking him higher than they should in this draft. And someone's going to do it in fantasy football next year too, depending on where he lands. That was something I kind of teased uh, last week, but I'm, I've got a feeling about it after just how he's performed in this game. I mean, what he had like 28 touchdowns this season. Yeah. I think I I heard that from somebody that's pretty absurd. 28 touchdowns in a, in a college season that now is just now 15 games. So it's not even a full NFL season to put that in perspective. Yeah. And I mean, he had essentially an NFL O line working for him. He played an NFL system for a guy who's coached in the NFL. He's going to get a look somewhere next year and he would be the guy I would really watch for in terms of how he's viewed after this game going forward um yeah Blake Warren wasn't sorry to interrupt you still have something no 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 no, you you're good Blake Warren wasn't a wasn't a guy I was necessarily thinking of off the top of my head in terms of um bolstering his draft stock mainly because I I personally don't like to take running backs early in the, in the NFL draft, just because of the, uh, how banged up the position can get and how demanding it, it is of a position. I think that we're seeing a lot more NFL teams go to some sort of running back by, by committee. But as you were talking about quorum, which he definitely deserves to be talked about and his, not just his game tonight, but his NFL draft prospects, I looked up where he's roughly projected to go. Um, and they, this article looks like it was from a couple days ago, um, but they are, they're projecting him as a day two pick. So basically second round guy, uh, which I think that pretty typical for a running back. I mean, we see fewer and fewer of them go in the first round, although we've seen a couple here or there over the past few years. When you say that you think that somebody might get suckered into taking him earlier than they should, are you alluding to a team potentially reaching for him back into the first or, or maybe very early second, something like that? Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Um, especially with 
I mean, look at look at some of these teams that are going to be in the playoffs right now, and how many of them have healthy, great running backs, and just try to picture Blake Corum in that offense. So, I mean, the Texans, right? That that's that's a pick. That could be one right there. Singletary has has had a little bit of a comeback season this year, but you wouldn't necessarily say that you expect him to be consistently that guy going forward, right? And then he he wasn't a high draft pick either. Right, and Damian Pierce just fell off the table after having a good season in his rookie year. So that's a team that's picking kind of towards the bottom, towards that back half of the first round. I could see making a move for him. Um, Even maybe some other teams like I'm trying to delve even deeper into it. I mean, the Cowboys even would be another team like Pollard hasn't necessarily panned out for them this year. You're telling me they're going to rely on Rico Dowdle next season and, or, or just run it back with Pollard if they can't turn this playoff appearance into a Super Bowl run. Um, now Pollard didn't have a terrible year. He, he still rushed for a thousand yards, I believe, but his touchdown numbers weren't nearly the same as last year, being able to hawk, um, some of those touchdowns away from Zeke and, and whatnot. So I could look to to seeing Dallas try to implement another quality back into their game, either through the draft with a guy like Quorum, or maybe they go after a Derrick Henry or somebody else like that in free agency instead. It's interesting you said if Henry that, is still playing, honestly. Yeah, no, it's interesting you said that. I was actually thinking about um and not to get too off topic here because this is a college football reaction podcast and we'll talk about NFL and, and other things like that later in the week. But uh, I was thinking about uh, Derrick Henry's career and uh, in Tennessee, just because he did help my Steelers get into the playoffs. And then I, I started to think, you know, how it looks like it's the end of the road for him, at least in Tennessee and where he might land. And Dallas was the first spot I thought of as well, just because it, it, Tony Pollard wasn't like extremely effective um, shouldering the full workload today. So it's interesting. You had that, that opinion there as well. Last question. If you had to pick John uh, Jim Harbaugh's destination next year, where are you going? Anywhere. Uh, this this is pretty much a slam dunk for me. Uh, I think that I've, I've, I've heard the commanders maybe thrown around there. Um, that's not where I'm thinking. I think that the Chargers makes the most sense. Um, the Chargers are far from a complete team, but – they still have some talented skill position guys. We saw how how well Keenan Allen played this year. But the main thing is they've got the quarterback, man. I, I know that you're not quite as high on Justin Herbert as I am, but I think he's an elite level quarterback, certainly top 10 without a doubt. I will argue for him as a top five fringe, fringe top five guy. And that's huge. You know, when you as a head coach are looking at a, a, a landing spot and you already have the, the most important position in football solved, like the Chargers do, and, and Justin Herbert, I, I think that that just is a golden opportunity for Harbaugh, who's already led a team to the Super Bowl with like a less than average quarterback in Colin Kaepernick, even though he did flash, you know, with some really good games on that run of the Super Bowl. I don't think that anybody would argue that Colin Kaepernick is of the talent level that Justin Herbert is. So if he did it with Kaepernick years back, I think that the Chargers would be a great landing spot for him to potentially do it again. You and I are thinking, thinking pretty alike with that destination for sure. Even though I would love to have him 
in New England. I, I think if we move off Belichick, we're probably going to stay in, in that tree, but we'll see. This does it for our reaction to this year's national championship. Once again, final score, Michigan 34, Washington 13. I'm excited for next year's college football coverage. We'll definitely have some good stuff, but now we're diving all into the NFL. We got the playoffs right around the corner. Wild card weekend is this weekend. We're going to have our end of the year fantasy awards episode as well this week, which Paul and I are definitely looking forward to. We've got a special guest for that as well, which y'all will find out about um, closer to the release of that episode. We'll go with that. Paul, my man. He's a very high profile guy, so we got to keep it (laughs) under wraps. The highest of profiles. Yeah, for sure. Paul, my man, raise that Jolly Roger. Keep it lit and uh, get some rest. We got to talk tomorrow again. Yeah, absolutely, Patrick. Um, Glad we were able to do this here. It is sad to see college football come to an end. But as college football comes to an end, like you said, um, NFL is, is still in full swing with the playoffs. And my personal favorite sport, uh, is really about to take center stage in college basketball. So we're going to get into talking about that over the next couple months as well. It's been a great college football season. It's been a lot of fun talking about it with you. And until uh, next year, I guess. Yes, sir. Big Blue. Go Wolverines, man. Pat Congrats. and the commission signing off. Thanks for tuning in once again to the fifth and long podcast. God bless.